What I want to talk to you about or continue to talk to you about this morning, what I touched on last week was the blood of Jesus and the blood of the new covenant. And if you will remember from our study last week, we read where Jesus took the communion and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And that just simply tells us that Jesus Christ has established a new covenant that is in his blood. It is not in the blood of bulls and goats. It is not in the blood of imperfect sacrifices, but it is in the blood of his very own perfection as the son of God and the son of man. And he lived before us a sinless life. And so Jesus, through his own blood, has established a covenant with us and his father. And I've, I've been somewhat amazed in our world today um, as I research this and I look, just kind of pull up sermons that are popular in the world today or books that are being written and so forth. There's just very little said about the blood of Jesus. And I really think that this is something that we should always magnify. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the blood of Jesus is precious. And so it should be precious to us. And I pray that we will have a better understanding of this. The blood of Jesus deals with so much, but we're going in a simplistic way. Just help us understand how does the blood of Jesus affect God? How does the blood of Jesus affect Satan? And how does the blood of Jesus affect us as believers and specifically with our conscience? And so this is what we're going to try to deal with for the rest of the day today. Um, In the book of Romans, which is where we're going to pick up in chapter 3, We find that the first five chapters of Romans, Paul is dealing with sins, plural. And he's dealing with it specifically in the offenses that we have committed. The the acts of sin, if you will. The times that you've lost your temper. The times that you've lied. The times that you didn't do something that you should have done. The time that you had foolish thoughts in your heart. All of these things are sins. And so it is these sins that we have that we are most aware of. For example, if you were to walk up to most people in America today and ask them, are you a sinner? Have you ever committed a sin? Probably everyone would say, oh, yeah, you know, our conscience tells us we've have. We've done something wrong in our whole entire life. We've done something wrong. But then if you were to ask that same person, you know, are you basically a good person or a bad person? Then they would probably say, well, I'm basically a good person. And so that's where people really miss the importance of the blood of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're willing to admit that we have sins, but a lot of people, even in our church today, are not willing to admit their sin. And so Paul, in Romans 1 through 5, is dealing with sins, plural, these acts of transgression or rebellion against the way of God. And then in Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8, Paul deals with sin, singular. And that is specifically dealing with the nature of sin that is working in us. And it is that nature or that principle of sin that results in sins and offenses that we flesh out, if you will, um, in our lives before we were saved, and, and even as a Christian, that we flesh out far more than we would ever want to. So in Romans 3, verse 24, it says, Being justified freely 
by his grace. Isn't that great? It's free. It's like you can't pay for this. All right. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough good works to pay for this. So we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God, so, so you gotta understand this, God has set forth this redemption in Jesus Christ to be the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins, that's plural, the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness that he might be just. This is very important. He might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. And so, please understand this. There's something so magnificent in the blood of Jesus. And this is going to be one of our key topics today. Is that it it, it allows God to be just in justifying sinners. And it's because of the blood. Now, this is very important because God is a just God. And God is a God that is not going to transgress his own nature. So how can God make a a guilty sinner righteous in his presence? Well, he couldn't if it weren't for the blood of Jesus. And he couldn't if he did not make this free for people who would just believe in the blood by faith. Okay? Okay. So we have to be believers in the blood. And what is faith? It is the evidence of things not seen. It's the hope of what you have. So faith is to believe things about God and what God says to be true, even though you may not necessarily see it right now or touch it right now. And that has to do with the blood. The blood is for God. The blood is for the Father. And so it is, it is applied for him so that he can go to work legally and make sinners righteous. And so this is very important for us to understand. In chapter 5 of Romans, he tells us in verse 8, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood... We shall be saved from wrath through him. And so it is through the blood of Jesus that we are justified with God. And so I just want you to understand, tying it to chapter 3, God is just to justify sinners. And then you see in Romans chapter 5, very clearly here, that we are justified by his blood. So God cannot make anyone just. Apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we ought to sing about the blood, preach about the blood, teach about the blood, rejoice about the blood, give thanks to God for the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the blood of Jesus is still speaking for us. It is, it is verbalizing things to the Lord. Um, the Bible tells us when Cain slew Abel that God could hear the blood. I mean, he could hear it. He said, Abel's blood speaks to me. And the Bible says that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood was vengeance, vengeance, my brother killed me. Jesus' blood is forgiveness, forgiveness. They did not know what they did. And so this is the beauty of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the blood of Jesus is, is declared in Romans 1 through 5, and really all through the scriptures, but particularly Romans 1 through 5, 
as the means by which God is able to justify sinners and to put away their sins. To forgive their sins. All of their acts of transgressions against God. In Romans chapter 6, in Romans chapter 5 as well, Paul begins to make a transition. This is very important. So in Romans 5 and in Romans chapter 6, he begins to make a, a transition by bringing into the conversation the subject of the cross. He, he begins to declare the cross now. And it is through the blood, by faith, we are justified with God but it is through the cross that we are delivered. And this is very important. Because you see, the blood of Jesus Christ, though it is the answer to everything for a sinner. And it is the means by which any sinner can have an intimate relationship with, with God. We also have to understand not just the fact that Jesus died to pour out of his blood for me. But there's something about the cross of Jesus where I must identify with him in his death. Jesus would tell us to take up our cross and follow him. So the cross is an essential thing to our life. Not just something where Jesus died for us. Paul said in Galatians, I was crucified with him. And beloved, you need to be able to know that and say that. This is an experience in your life. The blood is for God. But the cross is something you're going to experience in your life. And it's going to work very powerfully in your life. So in Romans 6, I just want you to see this in, in, in verse 3. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So that, that's something that's been done. You have to know that that's been done. This is going to help your conscience. And there's a lot of Christians that don't understand this. And there's a lot of Christians that never get past the cross. And so they're still there. You, if you're going to find freedom and victory, you've got to get past it. You've got to know that your sins are dealt with through the blood. You've got to know that your sin is dealt with through the blood and the cross. And then you've got to know that you're with God intimately, excessively, because of the blood of Jesus. So you have to know... That when you're baptized into Christ, you are baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If you've never, I, there, there are many baptisms in the Bible. Maybe that'll be a good study for us um, one day soon about the baptisms. The baptism into Christ, the baptism into water, the baptism into the Holy Ghost, the baptism in fire. There's many baptisms that the Bible speaks about. They're not all the same. And this baptism into Christ is the new birth. It is the baptism of the Spirit into Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so this is the necessary baptism. If you don't have this, you're not born again. But there is also something to baptism in water. And so if you've never been baptized in water, then I encourage you to do that. We may not understand all the implications of it. But I can tell you this. Jesus gave just two ordinances that we are to follow in following him and that is to take communion and to be baptized in water and so if you've never done that as a believer it's very important that you do you may not know all the implications but don't deny yourself of spiritual benefits that may come to you as an act of obedience in that 
And so he says in, in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall all be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, and this is, I pray you do, a lot of Christians don't. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin, not sins. Now he's dealing with sin, singular, which is the principle of iniquity that would cause all of the sins of our life. So you have to know that your old man, which is the nature of sin, is crucified with Jesus, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve this satanic principle of sin that is still there with you. It is there with you. And so here's, here's our problem as people. We have sins and we have sin. And we go to God for the forgiveness of our sins. And we believe that God forgives us of our sins because Jesus died for us on a cross. And that's the confession of so many people. But they don't walk in victory or walk in deliverance or walk with a clear conscience because they're still not understanding the nature of sin and they don't know that I was actually crucified with him and my body of sin has been judged and put away. I don't have to serve it anymore. I'm no longer under the wrath as a result of it. And though I battle with it, the answer to this nature of sin has already been given through the cross of Jesus and it's been dealt with. My, my sin, the principle, my nature of rebellion has been dealt with by God. And you have to know that, you really do, because you're going to battle this nature until you die or until Jesus raptures you. You're going to deal with this nature of sin in your life. And this is where many Christians get confused, and this is where Satan has a field day in accusing and bringing believers down into despair and into confusion and wondering, am I even saved? Because you still have this nature. There's nothing that God's going to do to reform your flesh. He's not trying to make your old man better. There's nothing, there's no answer for that old man other than death. And it's already been dead and crucified with Christ. You have to know it's put away. You have to know that or you're not going to have peace. And so I just want you to understand that. Now remember that the blood is for God. And so if you very quickly in the Old Testament tabernacle, you have the gate of entry, you have the court where they would have the labor. And then there was the tent of meeting and the tent of meeting was divided into two. The priest would go into the holy place and they, they would do their priestly duties there. But once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies and take the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat so that God would be able to cover the blood of Israel and dwell with them for another year. How do we know? Nobody saw the blood on that mercy seat but that one high priest who went into the Holy of Holies. How do we know that God accepted the blood? Because the priest lived. The priest came out, right? 
And so we haven't seen the blood. But Jesus told the woman when she was on the day of resurrection, don't cling to me or hold to me. I haven't yet ascended and applied the blood. How do we know that he did? How do we know that the blood was accepted? Number one, he lives. Number two, he came back. He lived with them for for weeks, showing himself to them that he was alive. And number three, when he ascended into heaven, the Holy Ghost came. To let us know, God, the Father, has accepted the blood because Jesus is alive. And if God the Father had not accepted the blood, Jesus would still be dead. We would still be in our sins and there'd be no Holy Ghost or hope. All right, so you get that? You have to believe that God has accepted the blood. You have to believe that. But what do Christians do? We try to put faith in ourselves We try to reform ourselves. We try to do better. And if we do better, then God's going to be pleased. No, you you have to understand he's pleased with the blood. He's accepted us because of the blood. He didn't accept you to be saved because of the blood. And now if you want to walk with God, you have to do it by your own self-righteousness. No, the way of entry is the way of walking. It is by the blood. And that is God's acceptance of us. And so I want you to turn to this passage in Revelation chapter 12. And I want you to see how we are to deal with Satan because of the blood. And so this is the second aspect of it. He deals with the blood deals with God. It deals with Satan and it deals with us. So in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible tells us in verse um. Uh, We'll just kind of pick up in verse 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God, our God, day and night. I I, I encourage you and I, I, I want to exhort you that, and we've all been guilty of it. But prayerfully, as you mature as a Christian, you will become less and less guilty of it. That if you are accusing other Christians, you are an instrument of Satan. You need to be very careful. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We need to be very, very careful. And I say this, God, the Holy Ghost, Hebrews tells us very clearly, he is the father and he knows how to discipline his children. So be very careful that you do not try to step into the role of the Holy Spirit because you actually may be stepping into the role of Satan. And you may be doing things that are against God's children that God will not take delight in. So I just want you to see this. He accused them before our God day and night. And how did they overcome? Praise God by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb By the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives. Unto the death. And so. This threefold. Statement of attack. Against Satan's accusations. Are very very real. So how does the blood. Of Jesus Christ. Work against. Satan. Well Satan. What he does. Is he brings accusations. Against us. Before God, and every time he can, before one another, to accuse us of fault, to accuse us of sin. Now, Satan is the father of lies, but when it comes to us, typically, he doesn't have to lie. 
he can pretty much just tell the truth. And I believe that when he goes before God, he knows he's not going to deceive God. So he probably just goes before God and tells the truth about Lee Ship. And if it weren't for the blood, what hope would Lee Ship have? And if it weren't for the cross that dealt with my sin nature and was joined with Jesus in death and judgment, what hope would Lee Ship have? But because of the blood, God is able to deal with his accusations. How? Remember in Romans 3 and 5? Justly. God is able to be just and deal with these legal charges that Satan is bringing against me. But there's also another principle in this. And if you notice this in Revelation 12, 11, it's the they that overcame Satan. And I believe that needs to be the principle of the body of Christ. When Satan begins to bring accusations against believers, believers should overcome Satan. By the blood, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. How cruel is the church of Jesus Christ? How terribly cruel is it? Somebody can overeat and there's no consequence or cost. Now, God says that if you cannot control your appetite, put a knife to your throat. But Christians today, I mean, that's just a kosher sin, right? But let a woman fall into sin, into adultery. Let, let a man or a woman be exposed with pornography. And that's almost blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We'll forget these other things, but we have made other sins much more worse when God's mind, any of these sins will send us to hell. And so all sins have been answered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the church of Jesus Christ, I believe with all of my heart, needs to contend against Satan on behalf of one another through the blood of Jesus so that people can be rescued and go on in sanctification through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not a license to sin, correct? But there's not a person in this room who hasn't been tempted this week and I would dare say fallen into sin this week. But aren't you glad there's the blood? And don't you want to extend that same mercy to others for the blood of Jesus? And so in Hebrews chapter 9, I think it's very important because this is the work of Jesus. I'm just asking us to act. Jesus has made us kings and priests unto his father. And this is part of, we can see as an example, the, the, the goal of our ministry. Because this is Jesus' ministry. And so it says in verse 11 of Hebrews 9, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he has entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Isn't that beautiful? 
Through his blood we have eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And there's, I just want this to stand out to you. The purging of the conscience. Just get that because we're going to come back to it. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that's the Old Covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And so we're talking about New Covenant, we're talking about Old Covenant, and what's the basis of the New Covenant? Jesus said, my blood. My blood is that basis of the new covenant. And so when he's talking about this here, there is reference to the blood of Jesus. Now, I want you to go to 1 John. And I want you to see this quickly because this is a beautiful chapter of, of Scripture that gives us great inspiration and hope. And I just want you to see this very quickly. He tells us in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And chapter 2 tells us what walking in darkness is. It's not loving the brothers. That's walking in darkness. That's chapter 2 verse 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So here we are walking in the light with God, loving our brothers, not being an instrument of the devil to accuse them. Not disassociating ourselves from them, but loving them, serving them, giving our lives to one another to help us live for God, to help us overcome the devil. That's love. First John 4 will talk about what love is. And so this is love. And so we're walking in the light. He's in the light. So what do we have? We have fellowship. Our fellowship is one with another. What did John say is the point of this fellowship? Verse 4, he says, it's for fullness of joy. The intent of our relationship with God is to live a life of full joy. But it's religion that takes that joy away. It's Christians who beat one another up, who takes that joy away. It's the devil that we allow in that causes disruption and accusations to fall upon us that gives us such terror that takes our joy away. But what does God want us to have? I want you to love one another. I want you to fellowship with me. And if you walk in the light, I am in the light. We will walk together in the light and we will have fellowship. And in order for that to happen, something has to be working. What is it that's working? And he tells us this. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is cleansing us from all sin. So the blood of Jesus, as it were, because if we're walking with God in the light, we're going to see a lot of things about ourselves that are not like Christ, right? And it doesn't mean our fellowship's over and it doesn't mean God has thrown us away. But no, we're walking in the light with God and the light of God is shedding light upon our life. And what is happening is we're walking with God in open confession of God. The blood's just cleansing us. Unbroken fellowship, unbroken joy. We're walking with God. God is walking with us. Why? Because of the blood. Because of the blood, God can have fellowship with us and in our process of being sanctified because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He can be just and be with us because of the blood of Jesus. It's so incredible. 
And so he says this in verse 8. If we say we have no sin. Now, if you're in the light with God and God's light says you've got bitterness in your heart. And you say, no, I don't. Well, now there's going to be some kind of breach there. And God's going to have to go to work as a disciplinarian in your life. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, which is beautiful, beloved, sin not. You, you can walk in victory. You really can. You can walk in victory through the Holy Spirit. Sin not. And I'm so glad that he says that. But I'm also glad he said the second part of chapter 2, verse 1. And if any of us do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Praise God. Everything's covered because of the blood. Because of the blood. So, so I get this, if, if you will, in verse 9. I'm coming back to this. If we confess, agree with God about our sin, what is God able to do? He's able to be faithful and he's able to be just in forgiving us. God can legally forgive us. Now, when I say legally, God's not under some Supreme Court. He's not under some law that he is bound. It's his nature. It's his nature of what's right and what's wrong. And if a sinner is sinned, then it is the nature of God to judge that sin in that sinner. And if the sinner doesn't repent, that the sinner is eternally separated from God in a place of torment and punishment. But also, if God could make a covenant of redemption through blood, then God could legally justify that sinner. And so he did it through his son. And now for any of us that's walking with God and God sheds light upon something in our life, if we confess that, God is absolutely just to forgive us. Nobody, no devil can say, God, that's not fair. Oh, it is fair. Jesus died. It is fair. You know what that means? It means that I'm not trying to hide my sin from God because it's in the light. And God's not trying to overlook my sin Because it's in the light. And the blood is in the light. And God is able through the blood to take that sin away. Wash it away as though it never happened. Well, if you could grasp that by revelation, what joy would burst in your heart? Never, never have to ask you to get excited and praise God and shout to the Lord if you had a clue of that truth. It would so revolutionize your life. It's absolutely incredible what God has done. And then the answer to your conscience. Just very quickly, Hebrews chapter 9. And we're just going back to this. And it's also a, a point that is made in Hebrews chapter 10. But I just, want, I just want to touch on this very quickly. It says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14... Through the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. John would say in his epistle that if our hearts condemn us, we lose confidence with God. He says that if we if our hearts condemn us, we lose confidence with God. But God is greater than our hearts. So God has an answer to our own personal condemnation. So not only does the devil condemn you. But your conscience does. 
And so God has not only brought an answer that satisfies him in regards to our sins, which is the blood of Jesus. God has brought an answer that silences or shuts up the devil. And that is the blood of Jesus. And God has also provided an answer for us who know we've sinned. And that is the blood of Jesus. And God through that blood and the spirit is able to cleanse our conscience. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 it says this. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. The drawing near is so important. Because a lot of people like to keep distance with God. And, and if you really want the fellowship with God. You've got to learn to draw near. Um, people say well God's everywhere. So why do I have to go to any particular place? He is everywhere. And God is accessible to everyone. But the manifestation of his presence is not everywhere. And so it is for you to press in. Feel after the Lord that you may find him. You know seek the Lord. God said to David, seek my face. My heart said, oh God, your face will I seek. There's a call of God and there should be a response of people. And so that's why we have altars. That's why we appeal to people to move. Move out of your place. In, a, in an act of faith, draw near to God. You know, it, it's, it, there's something that happens in the attitude of faith when I'm moving towards the Lord in an act of faith, a physical presence means nothing. A physical place means nothing. But when your faith moves you and you're drawing near to God, then your conscience actually gets clean. Because faith is the means by which all of this is happening. You see, when people are agreeing with their conscience or agreeing with the devil, they oftentimes sink into depression and they sink into despair. And why do they do that? And why does it happen? Why, 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 why does God allow them to, to sink into that? And, and the answer is pretty simple. It's because they're no longer looking at the blood and putting faith in the blood. They're listening to the accuser rather than listening to their advocate. And because they're listening to the accuser, they're sinking into despair and their conscience is agreeing with the devil. They know that they're guilty. They know that they've done it. And what often tries to happen is we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to prove to God how serious we are. And we're going to do a bunch of good works and our life is going to really change and I'm going to prove and I'm going to show God. And no, God's not impressed. It was the blood that got you in here. It's the blood that's keeping you in here. And not yours, but my son's. And it is the blood that can cleanse your guilty conscience. And this is so very, very important. You see, Jeremiah says we have a very wicked heart. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. And so what if, if that's the condition of our heart, what do we need in a new covenant? I need a new heart. And that's why the new covenant promises people not only a new spirit, but a new heart. But we don't get a, a new mind. We get a renewed mind. And that mind functions as the conscience. And so it doesn't say so much that it's going to wash your heart. Because you get a new heart. What it's going to do, what the blood is going to do in Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10 is going to wash your conscience. Because when you're born again, you get a new heart. 
And that heart is perfect towards God. And that heart will always be perfect towards God. You will not sin in your heart against God. If you get that new heart of the new covenant. But your mind will sin against God. Your behaviors will sin against God. Your sin principle, your flesh will sin against God. If you heard Michelle speak Wednesday night about Job and the integrity of Job and the integrity of David. About that I'm not going to curse God in my heart. And so you get a new heart when you're born again. You get a new life when you're born again. This life is born of the Spirit. That life born of the Spirit is not sinning against God. It is the principle of sin in you that's betraying God or rebelling or going towards lust and temptation. And God, according to Colossians chapter 1, circumcised that body of sin off of you and put it on the cross with Jesus and completely judged it. And buried it with Jesus in his death. And when he brought Jesus up out of the grave. He brings you up out of the grave. Not with that carnal sinful nature. But with a glorified body he's going to give you. And in and, and absolute perfection. So Ezekiel and other passages say God's going to give us a new heart. And so this is very important. But yet a lot of Christians today are trying to feel things with God. We claim to be people of faith. But we walk so much by feeling. We want to feel this. I want to feel that. I want to feel like everything's right with God. I don't feel good about myself. I feel depressed. I feel like a failure. I feel like this. I don't feel like God's very happy with me. If, if you're living in that state, you have, by faith, have got to get yourself out of it. Well, I don't even want to say that you can get yourself out of it. You just need to agree with God about the state that you're in and let God cleanse you from that sin and stand on the ground of grace by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and understand this is my access with God. I'm going to give you two scriptures and I'm running out of time. Ephesians chapter 2. Please, please read this. This, this is uh, foundational in our, in our life with God. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 it says this. But now in Christ Jesus you who sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. So how were you made near? By the blood of Jesus in your works? No, you were made near by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ gave you access to God, brought you near to God. So we would say, okay, that's our salvation, that's our conversion, and now I've got to walk this out as a good religious person. No. No. Because you won't. That's what the Old Testament taught us. You won't do it. You can't do it. You're going to fail. Only God can live this life. And that's why he gives us his spirit to live in us so that we can walk by the spirit of God. But I'm not just saying these things. I want you to read them with me. And I want you to understand it. So I'm going back to, if you will, Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to see it again there. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says here in verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. They're already brethren, right? And so how do brethren enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. You mean that I don't have to have uh, raised three dead people and brought 50 to Jesus and resisted Satan for two successful days? No, you come by the blood. You're brought near by the blood and you have access into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is so extremely important for us. And he, and he says this, verse 20, by a new and living way. That's, that's, what's, that's what we have to understand. This, this is a new way. And it is a living way. So don't try to come by the old way. 
which is our natural way and our natural reasonings. And that's what the law did. The law spoke to our natural reasonings to expose us that we cannot do it. So you come by a new way. You come by a living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now he's talking about the cross. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You could even go back to chapter 4 and you could say in chapter 4 verse 14. See in them that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do you come boldly? to the throne of grace because of your high priest. Not because of your self-righteousness, but because of your high priest, because of the blood. You're able to come before God and God is able to legally and remain faithful, cleanse you of your sins and let you stand before him as though you have never sinned in your life. Just standing before God. I, I was telling somebody last week. I said, you know, that they were really struggling. They were in a lot of defeat. And, and, and they said, Pastor Lee, what is it? I said, you don't know grace. Well, what do you mean I don't know grace? I said, you just don't know grace. You don't know what Jesus has done for you. You can't live in what Jesus has done for you. You believe in what Jesus has done for you, but you feel like you've got to add to that so much. And he said, no, I, I believe in the grace of God. Well, I said, well, I'll prove it to you. I said, you're as holy now as you will be when you get to heaven. Oh, no, Pastor Lee. I said, see, you don't know. You don't know you're standing with God. You don't know that. The blood of Jesus has made me righteous and just before God. Or I'm not just. And holiness is imputed to me because of faith. Or I have no holiness. And there's not going to be something from the moment of death through this, I don't know, I don't think it's this, but I'm just using it for an illustration, through this dark tunnel I have to go through to get to heaven, and there's something other than the blood of Jesus Christ that's going to make me holy so I can go through the streets of gold. Why are you going to drop dead one day and enter heaven? There's not some transformation on the way from here to there. It happened at your new birth when you were born again. And Jesus gave you a new life. So I'm going to close with this passage of scripture. It's in Philippians chapter 3. And it's Paul's testimony. And it's beautiful. And, and it just ties this together with our conscience. So the blood answers the Father in regards to our sins and our sin. And the blood silences Satan. Because it gives God the legal capacity to forgive us and put our sins away so that they're never brought up again. And the third thing is, is that sin, our conscience, is washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If we by faith will hope and believe in it. And Paul did. And he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Wow. Beloved, I just say to you, when you can get to that place where you have no confidence in the flesh. I still would probably say I can count on one hand the number of people I've met 
in my life who are truly broken. By the grace of God and walk in faith towards God in, in that kind of freedom. But so many Christians are trying to find something good in themselves to offer God. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, no good thing is in me. That is in my flesh. When you get that revelation about yourself. You know, Tozer wrote so many wonderful things. One of the things he said is how it's just the way he, if you read him, this is the way he was. He said how, how Christians lie. And we, we love to talk about how we're worms and we're pitiful and we're terrible people. But when our wife says we are, how mad we get. Because we really don't believe it. It's one thing for me to say that about myself. It's one thing for you to call me that. You know, I'll fight you. You know, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad, you know. Well, the truth of the matter is we do think that we're basically got some goodness in us. And we don't. And so we spend so much of an effort to try to find something good in myself that I can offer God. You know, it's like Saul. We killed the worst. We saved the best to make sacrifices to God. And that's what we did with our life. We killed the worst. We gave up the drinking, the pornography, the drugs, everything, the lying, the stealing, the angry temper. We gave all of that up. But we're going to keep our good things, my devotion, my discipline, my good heartedness. I'm going to give all that's going to be my sacrifice. And God said, I said, kill it all. I said, kill it all. There's nothing about your old nature that I want. It is all filthy rags to me. Kill it all. And that's what he did on the cross. But we're trying to, I'm not saying we, I'm I'm not even indicting you in this, but I'm just saying there's a Christianity right now that's trying to find something good and itself doesn't really believe that there's no good thing in me. So we try to worship God in the flesh. There are people that don't come into the altars because they don't feel like they're worthy. There are Christians in churches today that are not serving God in ministry because they don't think they're worthy. What are they saying? The blood's not enough. I have to do something for God to accept me. Now, I will say that through the Holy Spirit, there is a cleansing and a purging of our house and our life so that we're of use to the Lord. But the grace of God does that as we walk with him in the light. And so Paul says, we're not of those who worship God in the flesh. I don't worship God according to my flesh. If I feel good or if I feel bad, it doesn't affect my worship. I don't go into altars whether if I'm feeling spiritual. Or if I'm feeling unholy. I go into altars because I'm worshiping God. I go into God's presence because I'm worshiping God. I pray because I'm worshiping. My access to God is not on the basis of my flesh. It's on the basis of Jesus Christ and his blood. And so I'm going to go before God. And I'm going to live before God. And I'm going to be intimate with God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And God has no is no respecter of persons. He's not giving somebody else more access to himself than he is to me. And therefore I can go to God. And I can be as close to God as I would possibly want to be. Because there's nothing that stands between me and God. The blood has made the way. Boy if you could believe that. If I could believe that. How it would transform our life. And so. This was Paul's testimony in his confession. He, he just goes on to say this, and I'm just for the sake of time, I'm jumping down to verse 9. 
He says, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And so if you want to know God, then you have to come to God through, through his righteousness. The righteousness which is of God by faith, not the righteousness which is of the law. So when I told that individual, you really don't understand grace. And if you did, you would know that when I get to heaven, I will not be more holy than I am right now. And to not be able to understand that and believe that just simply means you're trying to attain to a righteousness through the law still. And you're not living in the rest of the blood of Jesus Christ that speaks on your behalf and your great high priest who is in the presence of his father and he's torn the veil from top to bottom and he's waving to every one of us. Come on in here. Come on in here because I've made it possible for you. Oh, but Jesus, I've got sin. Come on in here. My father can legally put all that away. Come on. You don't have to hide it. My father's not trying to overlook it or pretend he doesn't see it. He sees it for all. But come on in here because my blood has made it and my father's put it away. And that devil standing at the door telling you why you can't. Well, you just shut him up and let those Christians that are around you shut him up by the blood, by the word of the testimony. And you love not your life unto death. Shut him up. Don't let him stop you anymore. Don't let him stop you anymore. And that I magnify To the glory of God. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for the blood of Jesus, the wonderful victory you've wrought for us through the cross and through your resurrection and your ascension and the gift and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the complete and the full salvation that you give us, that you've dealt with sins and sin, that you have satisfied your own justice through the blood of your Son. You have shut the mouth of Satan and you have given an answer to our guilty conscience that lets us know that we have had offenses towards you. But Lord, you've put them away by the blood. Give us liberty. Give us revelation. Let us know it, God, that we might celebrate you and rejoice in our salvation today in Jesus' name.